Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of God! Ah, oh, welcome to the Death U2. I fucking hate this music. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's nostalgic. I like it. This is my this is my favorite piece of movie music. This and the and the thing at the start of the Warner Brothers, uh, you know the, <laughs> the cartoons. Now, everybody would be mistaken for thinking we've got Billy Crystal on the show, but we don't. Uh, damn, that's why I'm here. Yeah. I only came because I thought we were going to meet <laughs> Billy Crystal. Well, for you, Sam, I've rolled out the red carpet and um, I've got an assortment of hors d'oeuvres and canapes and cocaine coming around. Oh, gosh. <laughs> First, okay. What's the first thing that comes to mind with you when you think of old time Hollywood, Sam? Oh wow. Um Probably Hollywood Land. Like the sign. Yeah. Good answer. That always like it just sticks in my mind that they would actually build this massive sign that said Hollywood Land just to sell property yeah. and advertise the area. And it's still there. I mean the land's gone, but like I don't know, it just makes me think about, ah, it would have been such a cool time to to live through. Technically, the land's still there. It holds the sign up. Ben, what about you? <laughs> oh, she comes with sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, 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 uh, the old kind of trailer slash newsreel voice. Mm-hmm. Like, a, yeah. like my favorite trail, one of my favorite trailers of all time is the North by Northwest trailer. Because in that, they make out that it's Cary Grant in the movie, not a character he's playing. It's like Cary Grant and Eva mm. Marie Saint. And he's and the trailer voice is like, look out, Gary. Eva Marie Saint's got her eye on you. <laughs> you're like, it's not Cary Grant. Like, he's playing, he's playing a character. <laughs> they not- really did. It was about the stars. Like, yeah. they really emphasised who was in the movie over even the story mm. Mm. There's, a, there's a great movie called uh, I think it's like the second oldest is it the second oldest uh, uh, occupation no, no, is it, what's the profession the second oldest profession but it's a movie about fa- Hollywood fandom but it's set in the it's set in the I think it's in the 30s maybe the 40s and it's it's like Deanna Durbin or someone like that, and they they like run a like a fan club, a celebrity fan club, uh-huh. and she goes to Hollywood and she meets like all of the like all of the kind of you know it's and it's back during the studio system. So whoever was on contract for that particular studio, they're all in the movie. They all do kind of these walk on cameos, wow. and it's all like that's cool. Totally all about the fans and this kind of you know fan club world. And you're like, this is before. Like that must have been the start of it when they kind of first started, you know, building up that 
that kind of fan mentality. I prefer mm. I prefer the movie about the world's oldest profession, personally. The, the Xavier Hollander, <laughs> the happy hooker. <laughs> that one will do. She goes to, she goes to Hollywood in one of them. <laughs> well, obviously, um, obviously, our show is all about movies, but today we're going to look at movies about movies, and the song that we've just played, or the music, is Hurrah for Hollywood, the classic piece. Uh, this version is by John Williams and the... Boston Pop Orchestra. That's a, that's a cool name for an orchestra. Um, but let's get the formalities out of the way first. Welcome to Good Movie Monday. We are the weekly podcast presented by Fakeshemp.net. Some would say home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran. And when the hors d'oeuvres come around, I'm all over those mini Melbourne toasts with pate. They're delicious. And of course, uh, as always, is Ben Howig, who doesn't understand why they don't just use regular sized toast. Hey, mate, how are you? I'm good. I, was, I thought you were going to say regular size hamburgers instead of those hors d'oeuvre hamburgers. Like, just give me a proper hamburger. Yeah, fuck sliders. And back on the show for another week is Samantha Housen, who may or may not even like Melbourne toasts. How are you, Sam? I'm good. And I have no idea what that is. <laughs> you know those, those little those little toasts, those little mini toasts? Oh, with, oh. It's yeah, a yeah. crouton before it's been dried. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a lot of hors d'oeuvres in my time. Yeah. They, they are named after the the late great uh, classic Australian opera singer Dame Mally Melba. Oh, really? Melba Toast. I thought I thought I thought you said the Hors d'oeuvres were named after <laughs> Mally Melba. Like, I don't uh, remember her chapter in Hollywood Babylon, but okay. What is what is news with you two? Are you enjoying lockdown? Um, yeah, it's fine. I, I don't know if I can say I'm enjoying lockdown on public. In the public, uh, all right. No one, no one listens to the show, Sam. It's fine. <laughs> I, I, I'm still at uni, so having lockdown yeah. is great because it, I get so much done. It's amazing, but um, obviously, mm-hmm. it's also horrible at the same time. There comes the footnote, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Ben, would you say this is this is the this is the best number six since Leonard Part Six? Yeah. Yeah, and no sleepy times afterwards. <laughs> I shouldn't have even gone there. I do like. I, it's been a long time since I've seen Leonard Part Six, but I remember thoroughly enjoying it. <laughs> Damn straight, and wondering where number one, two, three, four, and five yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, being being resistant to watching it the first time because I'm like, oh, I haven't seen the first five, so I think that's where it all went wrong for that movie. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, movies are about Hollywood. They're a weird thing, I reckon. Do you guys like them? I do. Yeah? I, I find it, like, because obviously yourself and, and I, we, we went through film school and everything. Like, making films is kind of a, um, I don't know, I guess it's a nostalgic thing. And yeah. when you're watching other people make films, it, you kind of, you see yeah, the best of of what it's like to make a film for sure I, I kind of i the issue i have with a lot of them is the fact that they're very self-referential sort of them the industry films made by that industry and like what's yeah. supposed to be a fly on the wall kind of look into their world is often self-serving and pompous but there's a lot of good ones as we're <laughs> going to discover on today's show um in fact immediately when i think of these movies i think of the player the robert altman film yeah which you know i mentioned because i don't think any of us have selected that one for today's show but that's a banger it was my notable mention. Oh, cool. I don't think they even make a movie in it. <laughs> no. It's just about executive politics. There's, there's, no a, there's a script, isn't there? There's a script. There's a script floating around, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. 
<laughs> and from the player, then you have Terra Firma, which is, you know, Troma's version of the player, adapted from uh, Lloyd Coffin and James Gunn's book, All I Need to Know About Filmmaking, I Learned from the Toxic Avenger. That's a Bible amongst aspiring filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Have you read it, Ben? Uh, if, I've read the first book, whatever. If that's the first that book, is. that's the one I've read. I think there's another two, and I I kept thinking they were this, the same as the one I had. <laughs> I didn't realize uh-huh. they, were, they were different books. I haven't read the the, the sequel. Anybody yeah, who's listening that's them. that's um into filmmaking and it, it's it's it is a bible for low budget filmmaking. It teaches you all the things to use that when you haven't got money, like cantaloupes. That's what they use for the mm. kids' head getting crushed under the car, and <laughs> mince meat for brain matter and stuff like that. It's a fantastic book. It even gives you the recipes for all of it. <laughs> yeah, fake blood. Yeah. Although I remember reading, like I had a couple of books that had uh, recipes for fake blood, and they used. <laughs> Stuff that you couldn't get here, like caro syrup. Like, yeah. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> like I, it's that's not at Coles. No, but you have plenty of KY. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's not well. It doesn't start off red. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I apologise to everybody. <laughs> well, the reason that we are here is to recommend some movies for people listening. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to kick things off. Ben and Sam, you can go first. But first, let's um, let's uh, check out what new releases are coming out with Jared. Hey, this is Jared, and welcome to PE Class. Now, I'm going to start off this week with some news. It's all international news, but it's all good. First up, Paramount are releasing Scream on 4K Ultra HD in the US. This is coming out on October 19th, and it's coming out just in time for the film's 25th anniversary. It's going to port over all the legacy special features from the previous US Blu-ray and DVD releases, but also include a brand new featurette titled A Bloody Legacy 25 Years Later. It's got interviews with all key cast and crew from the original Scream, as well as some of the cast and crew from the upcoming fifth installment of Scream that's coming out in 2022. Look, I'm excited for this release personally. I can't wait. I think it's going to be a... Yep. Could have done it. Didn't do it. Coming out from Universal Pictures on October 12th in the US is Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. That's right. Coming out on 4K Ultra HD. I don't have any specs at this stage, so I can't tell if it's going to have HDR10, Dolby Vision, whether it's going to have Dolby Atmos Audio, or whether it's going to have uh, DTSX Audio, but I'm hoping it'll have some object-based audio because this movie is quite loud and it could do with being 360 loud. Anyway, good news regardless. Now, this week's releases first up from Disney. We've got Cruella coming out on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD. Admittedly, I have not seen this one, but I'm tempted to blind buy it because I've heard nothing but good things, so I might just pick it up on 4K Ultra HD. I mean, it does have an Atmos track, so I should just do it, right? Then also coming out on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD from Disney is the Disney Pixar film Luca. Admittedly, I have not seen this one either. This one was due to come out theatrically and went straight to Disney+. Plus. Uh, I don't know if I will blind buy it because I've got the last two Disney Pixar films, Soul and Upward, or Onward, I can't remember, to watch that I haven't seen that I bought straight up. So I'm going to I'm gonna sit this one out and maybe I'll pick it up when it goes into a promo. Then last up from Mad Men Entertainment, they're releasing Train to Busan Presents... Peninsula. Now, this one came out theatrically last year, and I actually picked up the US 4K Ultra HD of this film uh, as we were in lockdown when it came out theatrically, so I couldn't see it, but I really dug this. I mean, there's some pretty poor CGI in it that borders on, like, PlayStation 3, maybe PlayStation 4 if you're being generous um, CGI, but ultimately it's a lot of fun. It's set four years after the events of the first film. It's super dystopian. It's very sort of Mad Max 
uh, and it, it's good fun. I really enjoyed it. So Train to Passan Peninsula on Blu-ray and DVD this week from Madman. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Until next time, stay physical. Jarrett does good work. And uh, who else loves physical media as much as that guy? I think there's a lot of people, actually. There's a lot of us. Uh, ben, you and Jared even produced an entire web series about collecting physical media. Uh, we did. And is that available anywhere? I've I've seen it on eBay. Oh, really? The 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 physical the physical release of it. There is someone on eBay with about ten copies. Oh. That that is uh, where you can. Uh, eBay is where you can purchase it. That's actually where we sell it. Oh, that's that's probably where I saw it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not someone who, because we crowdfunded it. We mm. crowdfunded the physical release. And then um, uh, one, they all came with a limited edition slipcase. Mm. But then the regular versions uh, are just available on eBay because that's the world's biggest marketplace. It's a fantastic series. It's called Video Hoarders. Well worth checking out. Have you got another season coming or is it just the, the ones you've done? Uh, season three. No, season three has, I believe, just been finished. It's a shorter season. And it is it primarily focuses on uh, the US and Canada rather than Australia like the other ones mm. the first two have. So yeah, I'm not sure when yet when that's gonna come out. It may have a launch at Monster Fest this year. Mm. It may not. I'm not actually sure what the plan is. <laughs> Watch this space. I'm sure we'll know a bit more about it as it comes up. But um enough screwing around anyway. We're here to recommend movies. Why don't you take the lead, sir? Uh, okay. Uh, I, th I can't remember if I've talked about this film before on the show, but I really like it. So to hell with it. I'm going to talk about it again. <laughs> it is 1998's Sunset. It stars Bruce Willis and James Garner. And it was, it was, so this movie was made the same time, at, at the, like the same year as Blind Date. So it's pretty much Bruce Willis's second film. And it was the film he, or was it the year after Blind Date? It's the same year as Die Hard. And this movie was a major tank at the box office so which is adds further kind of fuel to the um to the confoundment of hollywood as to why bruce willis was cast in die hard although i mean everyone else had said no but also why he'd been he got paid like an astronomical amount for die hard mm. um and the only kind of even remotely kind of actiony type thing he had in his resume was sunset <laughs> and this is a great movie it's set in the i believe it's set in the 30s and Bruce Willis plays uh, Tom Mix, the um, who is like a, uh, I think he actually, Tom Mix started off in maybe early talkies. Um, and he's like a Western, he's a, a Western kind of uh, cowboy type type guy, like a, um, um, no, I was going to say Slim Dusty, but not Slim Dusty. Uh, what, are the, uh, what are the cowboy? Uh, Roy Rogers. John Wayne. Roy Rogers and yeah, like John early John Wayne, that kind of thing. Um, so Tom Mix is one of those. He made a lot of cereal, like the shorter kind of cereals. And um, Malcolm McDowell is the head of the studio that um, Tom Mix works for. And he wants to make like the life of what the, a movie about the life of Wyatt Earp. And this is at a time when Wyatt Earp is actually still alive. So he hires Wyatt Earp to come and be an advisor on the film. And Wyatt Earp is played by James Garner. And then, of course, during the making of this movie, they get involved. And it basically becomes a kind of a detective story. Like um, James Garner's uh, kind of one of his ex-love interests uh, is now married to Malcolm McDowell, who's the head of the studio. And uh, her son has gone missing and she wants Wyatt Earp to find him. <laughs> and uh, that gets them into a kind of a, 
you know a, a series of kind of misadventures it's got a it's pretty it's got a pretty good cast like um supporting cast mm at walsh who is uh, a good movie monday favorite absolutely uh, turns up he's the chief of he's the kind of the studio head of security i believe um mariel hemingway is um the kind of current love interest of white earp which is like now totally inappropriate because she would have been yeah in her 20s and james garner would have been in his 60s uh kathleen quinlan jennifer edwards pops up malcolm mcdowell who i've mentioned a couple of times already he's great uh as the kind of studio head and it's a really good movie like the action is great it's got a lot of kind of laughs i think at the time the reason it didn't really kind of take off is because it was it's not it's not an action film but there's action in it it's not a comedy but there's comedic parts in it it's a very kind of hard to define kind of hard to market film mm-hmm. but it is and the cover the cover i remember the the video cover is kind of deceptive it makes it look like a like a kind of like a silent movie parody type thing which it, it which it isn't yep. it's just it's a it's a yeah it's just a really good film i had forgotten all about it and last week when the three of us were sort of you know brainstorming and throwing out some titles that we might be doing when you said sunset my mind immediately went to Sunset Boulevard. I thought I oh, was just short. Yeah, he just shortened it, and I'm like, "That's an odd one for Ben to choose." But okay, we'll go with that. I don't know how to spell Boulevard. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, I haven't seen that one in God knows how long. Uh, I haven't. I haven't seen it at all. One day, but it sounds. It it kind of sounds like they they would, um. Like, because it had some some really good people in it. Maybe the script was really good, but the actual directing or actually making it, it didn't like actually come through in the film. Well, it's, I mean, it's Blake. It's Blake Edwards, like who was, yeah. um, you know, like responsible for. I think he's the Pink Panther guy and yep. all that sort of stuff. Like, he's a pretty big deal. It just, you know, it's one of those things. Like, why do movies hit and they don't hit? Like, uh, watching it now. And I picked up, uh, like I hadn't seen it in years, and I picked up a DVD at like a Cashies for two dollars. Mm. Um, and there is there is nothing about it that says this shouldn't be a, you know, like a, a not Indiana Jones level kind of hit, but you know, but that kind it's that kind of movie. Like it's just, yeah, it's just really good. Well, you you're recommending it, so clearly, it, you know, it, it's good. Oh, look, I wouldn't trust anything I recommend. <laughs> Shit, they say that about me. I watch, I, watch <laughs> I, I get to watch one movie, so even if it sucks, <laughs> what I'm talking about this episode. But this sunset actually is really good. Awesome. Sam, you're up next. I'm dead keen to hear what you are, you've got to recommend. Yeah, I, um, I did, for my first one, Ed Wood. Oh, yes. Which is 1994, Tim Burton, of course, Johnny Depp. Um, Actually, there's a lot of people in this film. We have Martin Landau, which he's just great. Mm -hmm. And he actually got an Oscar for this film as supporting actor, which is incredible. Yep. Um, Yeah, Patricia Arquette, Sarah Jessica Parker, Bill Murray, Juliet Landau, his daughter, Landau's daughter, uh, Jeffrey Jones, and Vincent D'Onofrio, who plays Orson Welles in like a, just a scene. Yeah. Which is so funny because, like, I don't want to ruin it, but he looks the part, but then they 
dubbed his voice with someone else, which I, I had his name, but um, so, and you can really tell that they dubbed his voice. <laughs> but is that only because you know Vincent D'Onofrio? Because Orson Welles had a very, very distinct voice. Yeah, no, that's true. I suppose, I don't know. I think that you could still, sometimes like dubbing can be done really, really well, but yeah, it could be. Was it an intentional? Was it an intentional sort of um, dodgy dub just to fit the tone of the film? Yeah, well, it's a quirky film, yeah. and it it suits the character of of Edward, who was a real director, um, who did Plan Nine from Outer Space. Glenn or Glenda? Glenn or Glenda? Which before it's time? I've been asking myself for years. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's just, it's such a good movie. It has so much heart in it. It's it. And like we were talking about, about before, I think that's why I love movies about movies is yeah. because it's, it just, um, the ambition of, of him trying to make these films and the creativity is just inspiring. I went to the cinemas to see that one when it came out and do you know, it's the first time that I really realize that it's okay to like bad movies you know that that was sort of made me realize that you know bad movies are made with passion like no one sets Mm. out to make a bad movie they just turn out that way and it's okay to it's okay to celebrate them which I guess is why I've my whole life has been on a trajectory of celebrating bad cinema yeah I agree I think it, it it really like shows shows people what it's like to make a movie and how it's not always easy. And I think that whenever I watch a film, what's good about the film always trumps what's not good about the film. And it's very rare that I actually don't like a film. Um, But I think that this film, Edward, like shows how, and and Edward itself is such a good film. Um, but showing his, uh, like even down to when he's directing and they do one take and he's like, yep, that's great. Next. Even <laughs> like, though the wall shook at the time. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, um, the gravestone falls over. And Todd Johnson can't get out of the grave. Two of the vampires have to come and help him get out of it. It's such a funny film. That is a great film. I actually really like Plan 9 from Outer Space. Like, I don't actually think it's a bad film. Like, there's some, you know, there's definitely some kind of, you know, goofy elements to it, mm. but I actually quite like the movie. Like, the same with Killer Robot. That was another one that they dubbed one of the uh, worst. Is it Killer Robot? Uh, uh, with the guy, it's the one with the guy in the monkey suit and he has the, um, the diver's helmet on his head. Yeah, I know the one you mean. I don't know the name of it. Maybe. But, uh, and uh, the one with this, the other one with uh, Tura Santana, uh, that's uh, not Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. But they're all like <laughs> considered like you know competing for the worst movie ever made. And I actually think they're like I've seen Hollywood, you know, big budget Hollywood movies mm. that are much more insidious, insidious and terrible than those films. Yeah, yeah. If any, if anything, they just ooze passion. Yeah. Yeah. It used to really upset me when I'd go to the Astro and watch something like the giant Gila monster and people would be laughing. Oh, mate. Special I, effects. I'd be like, like, you could do it. Like, you could do this right now with the technology we have right now. <laughs> you could make a giant dinosaur movie 
like this. Well, mate, like, do not go to see any celebration screenings or anniversary screenings of The Exorcist because the kids laugh at it and it makes me so angry. Really? Yeah. Why you, would you laugh at it? You got the spider walk down the stairs. They laughed at that. They laughed at her. That scared her, me. They laughed so at her pissing herself, and I'm like, that's actually the most disturbing part of the entire fucking movie. Yeah, the <laughs> whole film is disturbing. I don't think it's scary. Even to this day, I find it terrifying. It's not funny until Alan Bernstein rubs her face in the in the pee and says, "Bad girl, bad girl." Oh no, hang on, that's repossessed. <laughs> What's happening, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. As per usual, I'm here to tell you a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week, kicking off with Chronicle 2. That's right, close to a decade since the release of the found footage superhero flick Chronicle. Well, now we have official word that not only confirms a sequel is finally on the way, but also reveals a little bit of the plot. Producer John Fox, founder and chairman of Davis Entertainment, the company behind Chronicle, said the following in an interview with Forbes. We're working on Chronicle 2 right now. I think it's going to be great. We're working on it at Fox. It's going to give us a chance to tell the story in a different way. We're going to tell it from the female point of view. It will have been 10 years since the event happened in Seattle, and a lot of it's going to deal with fake news, real news, and cover-ups. More interestingly, it's the next generation getting these powers that are corruptive. These are young women just finishing college. They are empowered, and this is their journey. It's somewhat surprising that it's taken this long for a sequel to come to life. After all, Chronicle was quite the hit earning positive reviews and a box office return of over $126 million from a budget of just 12. No director, screenwriter or cast members have officially been named as of yet, so stay tuned. And Margot Robbie has joined the impressive, ever-growing cast of Wes Anderson's next film. The still-untitled next project from the Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest Hotel filmmakers lined up Anderson regulars Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton and Adrian Brody, and also in his first Anderson role, Oscar winner Tom Hanks is also on board. Not much to go on regarding Robbie's role, apart from the fact that The Hollywood Reporter says that the Aussie star's part is expected to be supporting in nature. Also very little to go on regarding the film as a whole, Anderson is directing from a screenplay that he wrote there's rumors that it's a love story set in europe and apart from that we don't know much else cameras on the film are expected to start rolling in spain later this month but before we see what anderson has in store with robbie and hanks we'll have to see his most recent star-studded effort the french dispatch that film will be released in the US on October 22nd and in Australia on November 11th, hopefully. And Sonic the Hedgehog 2 has added Idris Elba to its cast. The actor will be voicing the character of Knuckles the Echidna, one of the primary characters from the world of Sonic. In the Sonic games, the anthropomorphic Echidna's dominant traits are his powerful spike-like Knuckles, hence his name, and his strength. The hot-headed character is also guardian of a powerful ancient relic named the Master Emerald. Elba joins a cast that includes Ben Schwartz, back as the voice of Sonic, James Marsden back as Sonic's human buddy Tom, Jim Carrey back as the villainous Dr. Ivor Robotnik, and Tika Sumter back as Tom's wife Maddie. As was revealed in a mid-credits sequence at the end of the first film, the sequel will also be including Miles Tails Rower, a yellow-orange fox character that serves as Sonic's sidekick. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which brings back director Jeff Fowler and screenwriters Pat Casey and Josh Miller, will be released in Australian cinemas on April 7 and US cinemas on April 8, 2022, 
hopefully. And our writer Adam Fleet reviewed a vampire horror film heading to horror streaming service Shudder on August 19th. It's called Jacob's Wife and it tells the story of Anne, who's married to a small town minister and feels like her life has been shrinking over the past 30 years. She's not too happy, her life isn't great and neither is her husband, but when she gets bitten and becomes a vampire, she gets a new sense of power and an appetite to live bolder. But the change comes with a heavy body count. Overall, Adam enjoyed the film, appreciating the fact that for a vampire film, it was trying to deliver something different. Even if some of the messaging is a little muddled up, he wrote it at least attempts to ask a few questions and provide more food for thought than the average bloodsucker. So while Jacob's Wife is unlikely to be a genre breakout, for vampire fans and horror nerds, it's a solid watch. 3 out of 5 stars. Go to Screen Room for that complete review. That ever does it for me guys. Thanks so much for having me once again. Hope everyone's doing okay out there. Thanks as always to the Good Movie Monday team for having me. Catch you next week.
is a guy called Swamp Dog. And that was him <laughs> singing a song called Synthetic World from the movie and Alan Smithy film Burn Hollywood Burn. You've seen that one? Talking about bad movies, Ben, that's widely regarded as one of the worst films ever made. I love all Alan Smithy films. I think he is Hollywood's greatest director. The premise of this one is pretty funny, though, because it is about a director with the unfortunate real name of Alan Smithy. And for people who don't know, Alan Smithy is the name that directors use on films that they they sort of disown. It's a fake pseudonym. They want to have their name taken off. And this is a movie about a guy with the real name, Alan Smithy. And uh, when his film turns out to be a piece of shit, he steals the negatives and goes on the run, threatening to destroy them because he can't use his own name <laughs> as the pseudonym. It's so dumb. But hilarious about that is the real director was Arthur Hiller, who opted to use Alan Smithy on the name of the final film when he saw it. <laughs> so good. The great Arthur Hiller too, who did Out of Towners and Love Story and ended his career with National Lampoon's Plucked. So <laughs> another Another in a long line of excellent final films. I thought they changed that fake director's name because people cottoned on to it, obviously, but I thought they changed it to something new. I could be wrong, but... I think, I think now it's uh, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Ooh. Burn. No. <laughs> That's not... <laughs> well, we can, somebody listening will have to fact check that and uh, get back to us mm. on the social media because I'm keen to know. I'm not going to bother researching those. So someone else should... Do the work for us. <laughs> so when you say you're keen to know. Yeah. <laughs> you're keen for someone else to find out. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I don't really care. <laughs> Change the word keen with... Uh, Couldn't give a fuck. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, well, back to the task at hand, Ben. Um, you're up again. What's your next recommendation? Oh, my next one. Okay. Uh, it's Sunset from 1998. <laughs> <laughs> Not again. Not again. Uh, it's a Sunset Boulevard. No. <laughs> How do you spell that? Yeah. I have no idea. It starts with a B and ends with a D. B-L-B-D. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's the abbreviation. Someone That's is right. clearly smarter than us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, my one is, uh, is uh, I'm going to talk about this, this film. It came out in 1999. I was working at the video store when it came out. Uh, it's called Entropy. Oh. And stars Stephen Dorff. And at the time, I was... I couldn't have been less interested in it because I, I've always had a bit of a problem with Stephen Dorff for some reason. Like at that point of time, because I guess I, I he just looked like a kid. Yeah. Like he was another one of those kind of Johnny Depp kind of, you know, Ryan Reynolds, actually not even Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds kind of looked like he was 30 when he was 16. But, uh, you know, he's one of these guys that always look like a little kid. So I kind of, I didn't have much interest in it. But I really, I liked, really liked this French movie called Ridicule, that starred Judith Godric, God, Godric, and and then when I found out that she was in this movie, I was like, all right, I gotta put it on and have a look. And it, like it was, <laughs> it was a if you if you like Judith Godric, this movie is a great movie to watch, uh, because funnily enough, she spends most of the film in either topless or in a see-through top, like to the point where. She's the Stevendorf kind of love interest. She goes to meet his sister and her like 10 year old kid. And she's wearing like a see-through top. And the kid, the kid is like pointing at her boobs. Like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a weird scene. But the, the movie is basically Stephen Dorff 
it's it's directed by this guy Phil Joanna, who I'd never heard of, but he's a he is a fairly well known. He's a very music... big deal in the music world, and this is kind of yeah. his story, isn't it? It's yeah, it's essentially an autobiographical tale about about, and I don't know if he actually did make a movie or this is the movie that it is about, but um, so he, he's he, he's a very successful um music video guy who's been given the chance to make a um a feature a Hollywood feature, and at the same time he's kind of it's all about the he's um he gets kind of he gets fucked over by the producers and the the studio chairman he has run-ins with the cast and uh, and at the same time he's kind of he meets judith gothrick who's a model and they fall in love and kind of have this whirlwind romance but then due to the kind of pressures of work that relationship kind of collapses as well and then the movie all goes to pot and, and you know everything that could go wrong and it but it is it's shot in it like you can definitely tell if you didn't know that he was a big deal in the music video world you can tell by watching it like the whole movie is shot like a music video like there okay. there's so the, the amount of walk walking scenes <laughs> in this movie with like you know cool cinematic tricks going on in the background <laughs> he he, he made this movie because he was a long-time director of the band U2 and he made this film while he was on tour with them for the pop tour the pop mart tour right. I think it was called and so half of the film is shot on like the in the stadiums behind stage and in front of stage of that. And I think doesn't he take advice from Bono and the Edge in the film? Yeah, like they like Bono and the Edge play themselves in the film. Yeah. And yeah, because he this movie is very much he he breaks the fourth wall. Yeah. Like there's a yeah. lot of scenes where he kind of talks to you as his life is kind of collapsing. And yeah, Bono and uh, and the Edge kind of give him advice about his uh you know his career and stuff and there's there's some interesting part like it does have a pretty good kind of supporting cast kelly mcdonald turns up uh lauren Hol lauren holly and john tenney they play the stars of the movie that he's making uh frank vincent from sopranos and paul gilfoyle uh who is who's one of my favorite kind of character actors they play the asshole producers hector elizondo is the studio chairman um Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, he plays like the first AD. He's he's got a pretty kind of thankless but but uh, good part in it. Uh, Catherine Erb from um, Law and Order, I think the one the one with um uh, uh what's it who we were talking about before who played Orson Welles um yeah Vincent D'Onofrio Vincent D'Onofrio that whatever Law and Order that Criminal Intent or whatever it is she's his uh, partner in that but in this yeah. she's playing Stephen Dorff character's sister. Kind of, and the movie they're making, they're making like a period kind of crime, like set like a forties crime movie, like, uh, and it's pretty good. But he does get he kind of they they reduce his budget. He has to rewrite the film. They do all this kind of stuff, and at the end of the, the shoot, he kind of he goes overtime. He goes over uh, overtime and has and has to um, it kind of screws around the budget, so they kick him off the film. But then the the rest of the movie continues, and you never really find out how the film actually goes. Because then, kind of towards the end, they bring he gets the he gets to come back on for the I guess for the edit and supervised post production. But you never actually find it because he's more much more interested in in the collapse of his relationship with Judith God Godric that you never find out what actually happened to the film. And the film actually looked pretty cool. Yeah, oh. I was like, what was it a comedy? Or I mean, like. Maybe not a dramatic, comedy, but a drama. dramatic comedy, I guess. It's, it's, yeah, it's a mm. yeah, it's a, a drama with comedic elements. Like it is, 
Um, it's definitely, I would say, more style over substance in mm. this one. For sure. Um, but uh, and it, it very like it is, you know, very. It's very self-involved as a any kind of good autobiography <laughs> kind of has to be. Like sometimes you need someone else to tell your story to kind of <laughs> yeah. a bit of distance. But if you do it yourself, then. You know. I'm really glad you picked that one because I used to love that film I had on VHS and I've been meaning to buy it on you know DVD or Blu-ray just I haven't I don't know if it's out on blue it's definitely out on DVD yeah. I've got the yeah. lucky I've got the VHS and I'm pretty sure it was one of the first DVDs when I started managing DVD collection and I could I had the world of imports at my fingertips mm. it was, uh, <laughs> one of the first DVDs I imported. Yeah, and look up, you know, look up Phil Jono because he has directed some very iconic moments, you know, in music videos. So he's, he's a, and he's done. I think he did Final Analysis. Was that the Kim Basinger film? He he with Richard Gere. He directed that, I think. Yeah. All oh, right. So he, I didn't actually, I did not bother to look up what else he had done. He's done a few. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I don't because I don't think, I don't think that part is really the filmmaking part. I don't think is the autobiographical part. Yeah. It's more of a. Like a yeah, I was busy. Kind of. <laughs> well, awesome. Um, so I had originally planned to go with singing in the rain, uh, but I did have a sudden change of heart because I just thought that's just too obvious. And you know, I love singing in the rain; it's one of the best. But um, I decided instead to go with one that's kind of similarly themed to Entropy. It's called The Big Picture from 1989, which, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the best satires of Hollywood that I can think of. And it was written and directed by Christopher Guest. I think it was his first film. And Christopher Guest is, of course, the guy that made Best in Show and A Mighty Wind and goes right back to the This Is Spinal Tap days. And it was co-written with Michael McKean. Uh, stars Kevin Bacon. And it's a, it's a film about a, a film school graduate who wins, you know, best short film at the first competition at the end of gradu- uh, graduating. And suddenly he's, you know, in he's in high demand from the studios and he signs a contract with one particular guy and soon into making this film, everything, his entire vision, creative integrity gets stripped away as the studio decides that they really want to make the most generic commercial product possible. And so it's about him sort of just giving into that because they're throwing money at him and all that kind of stuff. But it's both hilarious and painful to watch because it's all about egos in the Hollywood politics and then you can just watch this guy's self-esteem just sort of get stripped away one one you know bit at a time but um Guest and McKean I kind of feel like this was written from experience because it feels very personal the way they're having jabs at Hollywood um very clever and some really really good performances uh particularly from Martin Short he rocks up as a talent agent and I read somewhere that his biggest regret in his career was um refusing to take a credit for this film because he thinks it's one of the best characters he's ever played. And um, oh, wow. I agree with him. Like, it's a phenomenal character, but he's not in the credits anywhere. And he actually has a fairly integral role. But Jennifer Jason Lee, JT Walsh, uh, Michael McKean, as I said, Terry Hatcher, Don Franklin, Emily Longstretch is particularly good as the, the long-suffering girlfriend to Kevin Bacon. And then there's cameos from Roddy McDowell and Elliot Gould and John Cleese and Fran Drescher. And I think Fran Drescher's name, if I'm not mistaken in the film is the same character or name that she uses in um, Spinal Tap. Anyway. Which is the hostess with the mostest. Hostess with the mostest. (laughs) 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 I love it. I adore the film. Um, I assume you've seen it, Ben? 
I have. I I I don't remember anything about it, but I do. Like I remember what I like. I watched it not too long ago, and I know that he like I know that it's Kevin Bacon is the is the director, but I don't really I don't remember any of the details. Yeah. But every yeah. time I think of it, I actually think of uh, Quicksilver because at the start of that, Kevin Bacon is like the stockbroker, and he's his whole life goes to shit. And uh, he bankrupts his father and everyone he knows with a big financial, and then becomes a bike courier. That's but right. the way that they signal the transition from stockbroker to bike courier is that he has a mustache as a stockbroker, <laughs> and he shaves it off when he becomes the bike courier, and he looks literally twenty years younger without the mustache. And I, every time I think of like when you, when you were talking about the big picture, all I could see was like Kevin Bacon mustache, no mustache, mustache. Do you know my favorite thing about this movie, and it's a very, I, I feel like it's a very Christopher Guest thing, is whenever he's trying to pitch his movie to executives or describe it to friends, he actually, like Guest actually cuts to like a fantasy version of the film. So it's a black and white sequence of the film being told as he narrates. But as the studio's, you know, executives chip in and say, well, you know what, I think you need lesbians. And suddenly the, the characters in the film change they interchange with each other but they're getting more and more frustrated as their own story is evolving it's very funny very funny very clever i watched the trailer i haven't seen it yeah and it's got a great Um, poster a great poster with kevin bacon in a trolley you know with a camera it's fantastic it looks really good but in in the studio executive's defense there isn't a movie made that wouldn't benefit from more lesbians (laughs) put that out there This is Bonehead Weekly Fun Size, and we're going to talk about movies that are about movies. Meta. No, I was going to let the silence just speak for that. Um, Just because they're in Australia doesn't mean that they don't understand English. Let's get meta. Physic. Uh, No, it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. uh, Metaphysical is a song by Sumac. Everybody should check out. In the last couple of years, there's actually been two movies that I loved, loved. One of them I loved slightly more. At Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Mank. Mank, I have a special place in my heart because not only is it directed by David Fincher, but it's, it's about the writing. Herman Mankiewicz and the writing of Citizen Kane. And it's not necessarily a true story, but it is based on a somewhat true story he did write the kind of the the how should i say the framework of citizen kane and as we say if you're watching a biopic from hollywood to learn history you're learning history wrong yeah but mank is shot in that style it's acted in that style of 1940-41 and it's just a beautiful picture that i loved quite a bit and the other one i'm sorry to do too but once upon a time in hollywood chad and i watched it together in the theater I've watched it at least two or three times since then. Tarantino is one of those people who I feel I would not like to hang out with, but I can't argue with his genius. He's just never made a bad movie. Uh, If you've listened to any of our episodes, which you probably haven't, (laughs) you will hear uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Ed Wood, which is a movie about Hollywood. I don't want to talk about that one because if you want to hear that me go on about my love of Ed Wood, you can listen to one of our previous. You could listen to the Christmas episode. <laughs> yeah, the the the, 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 uh, the strangest Christmas uh, specials. Throwback but, joke from last week. But I'm going to throw one out of left field because this one does not get talked about when it's about. Uh, it's a movie about making movies. 
That is 1993's Last Action Hero. <laughs> it is completely a movie about movies. It's all about this boy who jumps into a movie, into an action movie, and he is clearly analyzing the movie about all the action he action movie tropes. And then it even cuts back to what's even cooler is later on in the film when they go into the real world, you see how those tropes will not work in real life. <laughs> yeah, you know, the problem with Last Action Hero really is the third act. A little bit, yeah. It yeah, goes it, a little... it, 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 because it's, it's all over the place and they never quite got it right and they never brought it all back together again. I agree with you. And Joe, did you, do you know who wrote that? I'm assuming you do. It's one Shane Black. Well, he's one of many writers. Jack. It's also the original it was, well, writer. I know, but he gets he gets credit for the screenplay. It was also uh, it was a story from Zach Penn as well. That, and that's, Adam that's, that's who I couldn't remember. It was Zach. Yeah, Penn. it was his way in. And Zach Penn, if you look him up, I think he wrote for X Men and a bunch of other things. It was his way of getting into Hollywood. Is his yeah. script. Say what you will about it. I I actually do have a personal love for it. I was 13 years old at the time when it came out. It has a personal touch. It has a personal tie to me. I am going to run through uh, three real quick. And literally, I'm just going to say the titles. Barton Fink. Oh, good I side I side with authors every time. Trumbo. Mm-hmm. And finally, the movie that I think captures the way that I write, no matter what I'm writing about, is Adaptation. Nicolas Cage and Adaptation. That is a great Every time he sits down and he's he's negotiating with himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a personal tie to that movie because Joe can verify this. Um, the movie, as the movie opens up, it opens up with Nick Cage just rambling, going on and on. That is literally my brain working. And I was watching that in the theater, getting nervous. I thought for a minute there that Kaufman had gotten into my head. Because even as the scene was playing, my head was working that way. It's a great scene because that entire thing where I'm going to write a paragraph and then I'll get a muffin. I do that. It's like, no, as no do you're, I. Not, you're not allowed to get up till you do X. You've got to get this written because somebody's waiting on it. Somebody, need, yeah. So uh, adaptation is phenomenal. I need to go there back you. and watch it. I didn't connect with it at first. I don't know that I'd connect with it now. It's, but it's I like a biz- the other two. But it it's is a bizarre movie. movie. I just don't connect with it. Well, and it, it, I mean, it won all sorts of awards and nobody really talks about it anymore. All right. This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size Funsies. He B-F-A. said it. Yay. Funsies. But BWF. What? Something you have to take penicillin for. Man, they got in early with some good ones. I might have been tempted to go with adaptation if I'd thought of it before they got in. But um, Boneheads, they are Joe, Chad, and James. And they're a bit of the, they're like the fish out of water on Good Movie Monday. They're the dudes from Kentucky who speak to you from across the Pacific, from the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Probably drinking Mountain Dew. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> if you head over to their Facebook page, throw them a like, then that page in turn will direct you to everything else they do, podcast videos and more. My question is, do they know Colonel Sanders? Uh, yes, maybe. I think he died a long time ago. Sure. But maybe when they were kids. <laughs> Do you know Colonel Sanders spent like a whole lot of his life living in Canada? Really? <laughs> Canada is a lovely place. It is <laughs> very mm. much so. The KFC is pretty good there too. It can't be. It can't be any worse than it is in America. Oh, no, I have to say, that's the rubbish. Big, the biggest disappointment <laughs> of going to the US was that the how bad the KFC there sucked. I have to say that the UK's KFC wasn't very good either. Oh wow. Mm. I, re- I remember in America, in you would get KFC like a bucket and the bottom would be transparent. There'd be that much fat and oil coming through. 
Mm. I mean, that sounds great. Like the, when I had, <laughs> I had it in Austin, and it was it was like dry and rock hard, and you're like, oh, yeah. This is like it felt like it had been sitting there for a while. Like it wasn't good. Well, KSC, not a sponsor. Very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so now no, I want to. Australia is excellent. I want to talk about it... a movie from 1976. Sorry, Ben. I, I got to move KFC? on, mate. <laughs> KFC. Is it is it a movie from 1976? KFC. <laughs> it's a Mel Brooks classic. I'm talking about silent movie, which I think is a truly unique kind of film given its place in time and. And the resistance, I can only imagine it would have uh, faced from studios at the time. But uh, yes, so at this point, Brooks had made The Producers and 12 Chairs, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, and he was practically Hollywood royalty. And he must have had enough weight to pull this one off because it's a pretty outrageous concept. And it is a silent movie that was made decades after the silent era had sort of you know, died. And that's the actual plot of the film too. It's about um, him playing a washed-up Hollywood director down on his luck who pitches uh, the first silent movie in 40 years to the studios. And the studios obviously reject it until um, Brooks promises to cast the best, most elite Hollywood actors of the time. And so the film is then his sort of quest to, to you know, wrangle the best in Hollywood. And that's where the really funny stuff comes in. Burt Reynolds, James Kahn, Liza Minnelli and Bancroft and a, a bunch of others. And Brooks and his two bumbling assistants played by Dom DeLuise and Martin Freeman um, or Marty Freeman run around Hollywood chasing these guys in, in silent movie fashion. And it's just freaking hilarious. Would you agree, Ben? Or Sam, have you seen it? Yes. Yeah. I, I, saw, it, I saw it when I was a lot younger so you know I when you brought it up um to do for the show I thought I should really watch that again because I think I'd appreciate it a lot more now than I would Mm -hmm. when I watched it because I don't think I really fully grasped what was going on or appreciated it yeah what an era for Mel Brooks though because in the space of just three years he made Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, Silent Movie and High Anxiety that's just phenomenal yeah Incredible. He, I mean, Young Frankenstein is one of my favorites. Definitely, and and, and Blazing Saddles, like these are considered yeah. like some of the funniest movies of all time, and he banged them all out within three years. Yeah, but that's crazy. I think the most hilarious part of um, silent movies is the fact that the only one word of dialogue spoken through the whole film was delivered by Marcel Marceau. Who, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if if people listening don't know, is a world famous. Don't explain mime the artist. Don't, don't explain ah, the joke. I have to. I have to. <laughs> If you don't get the joke, <laughs> then fuck, pick up Wikipedia and have a bit of a read. Watch the film. Or watch the film. <laughs> but then they'll be like, like who's watch, that If guy? you don't know who Marcel Marceau is, then... Stop listening. I don't want to advocate suicide, but maybe it's time to <laughs> think about it. No. Fucking hell, dude. I'm going to have to put that fucking phone number at the end of the show. Well, if you're considering suicide, call this. We'll talk you through it. <laughs> you give out my number. <laughs> Tell me what you do for a living. I wouldn't mind that job. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Sam, save us. <laughs> what have you got? Um, well, my second choice is Entourage, the movie. The movie. You know, I have yes. not watched this simply because I didn't watch the show beyond a few episodes. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because 
I when I thought of it um, to do for the show, I was just like, yeah, that's like a great idea. And then I realized, no, it's a terrible idea because <laughs> I feel like the movie is only for the fans. You, mm. Like you can't appreciate it unless you've seen all seven seasons of the show. Um, oh, I, I haven't seen. I've seen. I've only seen season one of Entourage, but I actually like. I like the movie. Oh, but did the, you? The, yeah. The thing with the TV series is and there's a great snl parody that you can look up on youtube of uh of the entire seven seasons of uh, entourage and it goes for about five minutes where it's just like uh hey vince you gotta do the movie <laughs> yeah i'm gonna do the movie oh man vince can't do the movie <laughs> and then and then the next then it cuts away to hey i can do the movie great vince can do the movie again oh no vince can't do the movie and like that's <laughs> It's so true. And that's yeah. the entire, that's every every season of Entourage. It's just a different movie every season that he can or can't do. Yeah, and that and that's basically yeah the the movie in a and nutshell. That's the movie as well, yeah. yeah. Because the the movie is basically a like <clears throat> the storyline of the movie you could see as a season. So I'm wondering if maybe maybe they had it in mind for a season before mm-hmm. they stopped the show or, or something, but um the way that this movie ends like makes me think that the show was never about vince it was always about his brother johnny drama yeah (laughs) the whole show is actually all about drama not vince at all and that's my theory that's my film theory (laughs) but um it's actually it's it's a good film but like i said it's for the fans like yeah. if if you're not I mean like you said that you liked it after watching only one season um but there's a lot of references in there that that people might oh, yeah. not understand but probably over my head I know that I know that Turtle was fat in the series yeah. he's not <laughs> fat in the movie and they constantly <laughs> reference the fact they that do. he's no longer yeah. fat <laughs> yeah and uh then he, he's got his own vodka line which makes tequila. him richer yeah or tequila or whatever it is yeah. uh the one thing I will say about the the thing that I found most disappointing about Entourage, which is not really about Entourage, but it's it's more an, a, a sad indictment of the DC universe. But the Aquaman movie that they make with James Cameron in the first season of Entourage is so much better than the Aquaman movies they actually made. I'm so like, glad you said that because yeah. I agree thoroughly. I I I wish that they would have made that as Aquaman yeah what like actually... James Cameron's Aquaman would have been fucking amazing yeah all respect to James Wan because I do really love him as a director <laughs> but the film itself just to um, that... add context to my Ugh. belly laugh there Ben's reaction to that was hilarious <laughs> not a fan <laughs> I just it's not that I'm not a fan oh I mean look no I'm not a fan I would I wouldn't call myself a fan i but I'm not, I don't hate James Wan. I just don't think about James Wan. Mm. No, that's fair enough. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> now, now's probably the perfect time to announce that next week on the show we have James Wan. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be talking to him. It'll be my, my, my second ever interview on the show. I'll be talking to James Wan, mainly about, uh, mainly about Sijin. Sijin. Yeah, Sijin. <laughs> when the fuck are we going to get it? When's that coming out, mate? I've talked to Shannon. He's ready to go. <laughs> it's right. It's sitting on a VHS tape on top of his VCR. Yeah. yeah. What's in the back of the car? Oh, a dead pig. 
fucking great. It's a great movie. Uh, Sam, anything else to say about Entourage? I, I got to say that the episodes that I have seen, I do love, and it's one of those shows mm-hmm. I do mean to go back to, just never ever get the yeah. time. Um, so it's yeah. it's arrogant and pretentious and insatiable, but it's great. Fantastic. Well, great. excellently done, and I'm sure a lot of people are listening and agreeing completely. Uh, then when when I put today's theme out, um, bloody Chloe got in damn quick as well, and she took another fucking movie that I probably would have jumped at. But um, anyway, it's you know all fair in love and war, I suppose. Here she <laughs> is with her choice. Hello, my friends. I'm Chloe from Movie Night with the Richie Girls. And firstly, I just want to say thank goodness I live in regional Victoria, and also I'm so bloody sorry, Metro Melbourne, that you are going through yet another lockdown. I'm utterly exhausted hearing about it, and I bet you guys are exhausted going through it. But you know what? You guys are going about it with a great Aussie sense of humour, and for that, I admire you all so much. But I'm going to move on to a happier subject this week. I am so excited to finally gush over some SNL greats. I've been waiting ever so patiently, and now is my time, because I'm going to be chewing the fat about Bowfinger. Comedy connoisseurs like myself would have seen this movie about a billion times, and if they haven't, they should, so hurry up. It's the perfect example of how comedy should be written and performed. It's perfect writing, perfect casting, perfectly timed, it's just perfect. The obscene and insane and over-the-top characters are brought to life by Hollywood A-listers and comedic gods like Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy, Heather Graham and Christine Baranski, which is only to name a few. The concept of this late 90s chunk of comedy gold is original and insane. It's smartly written by Martin to emulate just how the real Hollywood operates and includes, but is not limited to, a cameo from Downey Jr., undertones of an egomaniac superstars, and features some dedicated scenes to whacked-out religious cults, which I'm sure are wholly and completely different to other such, quotation, religions (laughs) tended by Hollywood elites. But, you know, what really stands out for me in this movie is the cast and how well they just play their characters. I think you can guess which my favourite is, and that is Eddie Bloody Murphy, of course. Eddie plays mega movie star Kit Ramsey and his errand-running, loving twin brother, Jeff. Not only does he play two characters in this movie to almost utmost perfection, but he did it all in a six-week period. Now, throw around the word genius a lot in this segment, but today it's definitely warranted. The way that Eddie portrays the adorable Jeff just breaks your heart and makes you want to give him a cuddle. But when he busts out that goofy brace face grin and looks at Heather Graham's titties and says, Awesome, you're gonna be a star. (laughs) You just can't help but pee your pants with laughter. Heather Graham nails it, like always, as the seemingly sweet but ultimately slutty small town actress girl right off the bus from Ohio. Christine Baranski just knows how to work an overly dramatic older actress character, and Martin's bowfinger embodies the phrase, fake it till you make it. And even though in the reality of the movie, they're following around an already slightly on the edge, borderline schizophrenic megastar, filming him without his knowledge and then ultimately blackmailing him into finishing the movie, Lakers girls anyone, you always seem to be rooting for this tiny little production company to finish the movie of their dreams and make it big. 
if the rest of the cast were a theoretical cake of this movie, Frank Oz, the director, would be the beautiful, creamy, chocolatey, piggy buttercream on top. I mean, how this movie didn't do better at the box office is really beside me. Now, in saying that, I'm off to go smash some pumpkins and shake a spear. <laughs> Have a happy and safe Monday, friends. Melburnians, Sydneyites, you got this. Stay positive. And if you do need to have a release, just reach for the sky and yell to the aliens. Gotcha, suckers! Thank you, Chloe Bowfinger. That is a banger. And um, I think Steve Martin is a brilliant comedy writer. Like, you know, he's an unsung uh, sort of talent in that regard. Like, people praise his, you know, comedy, but not really his, you know, his writing. And um, because he wrote things like The Jerk and Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid and Man with Two Brains, he even did Three Amigos and Shop Girl LA Story, stuff like that. We'll just disregard the Pink Panther movies, but um. (laughs) some people like them. That's my my favorite story about Dennis. Um, well, Paul K. Paul K used to play this, uh, had a character called Dennis Penis, and he used to use it like an interview, a comedic interview where he'd just give people shit all the time. And afterwards, I read this interview with him where they said, do you ever feel bad about any of the things that you've done? And he said the only time he ever felt bad was he was at some premiere, I think the premiere of Pink Panther, and Steve Martin was on the red carpet, and he, he was like, hey, Steve, 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 why are your movies shit now? <laughs> so that's the only time he's ever felt bad. If you have okay. never seen Dennis Penners, this character that he does, he's kind of like a very offensive Norman Gunston, but in sort of a post-punk yeah. kind of way. Uh, he's almost like some something from the young ones, and he just offends people on the red carpet, and it's hysterically uncomfortable. Like, it is so good. I love it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, well, thank you to Chloe for another great segment. And if you do like her take on films, then be sure to check out her podcast, Movie Night with the Richie Girls, which I think is on a bit of a hiatus at the moment, but it is coming back very soon. And a little bit of a plug for myself there. She hosts, uh, she co-hosts the Wednesday night video with me up late on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So check us out there. I'm very disappointed in that show, Glenn. Neither of you are wearing smoking jackets. <laughs> I, hey, very <laughs> she's worn an hoodie and I've worn a dressing gown. Thank you very much. But, but neither of them are smoking jackets. <laughs> I, red, <laughs> red velour smoking jackets <laughs> with bubble pipes. I will be wearing a uh, Hawaiian shirt on the next one. Ooh. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I look forward to that. I like Hawaiian shirts. Underrated. She accidentally called Taika Waititi um, Waikiki. So I thought I would um, <laughs> wear it in honor of that. In honor. <laughs> um, some honorable mentions. Uh, let me just run off a couple, then uh, maybe you can. I think Gods and Monsters is a good one, which is uh, the one with Sir Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser, which is fantastic. It's all about mm. the director, James Whale, who made Frankenstein. And it was produced by Clive Brendan. Barker. And Brendan Fraser's back now. He is. Yeah, he is back. What a resurgence. I don't, I don't, understand, I don't understand him being away. Oh, like, I don't no. Think was it away. was because of the, oh, it was a bit of an um, inappropriate conduct. The, some producer had um, fondled him inappropriately and I think in his own words, touched him on the taint. And because of this producer, when Brendan Fraser came out to expose him, it just practically wrecked his career because this producer just went around Hollywood and blacklisted him. Do we know who the producer was? Yeah, we do. I don't. I don't remember who it was, but you can read up on it's it. Named. Yep. I mean, I, I look. I I didn't realize that. I thought it was just because he'd gotten the, he'd put on ten kilos and 
fat Brendan Fraser is is not as anywhere near as good looking as thin Brendan Fraser. I just thought that's what it was. Like Hollywood had lost interest because he just wasn't good looking anymore. And he's gone a bit balding. Like he's he's in um, Condor, which is the TV series remake of Three Days of the Condor. Yeah, and he's fucking excellent in it, but he's horrific. Yeah, well, no, his time is now. Like he's he's definitely on a bit of a, a resurgence, and um, you know, but yeah, no, it was much more sinister. The reason why he disappeared than that, but um, much more, yeah. And a little it's tap a on shame. the teeth, though. <laughs> like you know, I used to I used to play I used to play basketball as a kid. If the coach didn't give you a touch on the taint, then uh, it was a different time. <laughs> you didn't know that you'd done a good job. <laughs> like you're coming off the subs bench, little tap on the taint, and you go. This might be the lost episode. <laughs> Last week it was gingers. Yeah. <laughs> and this week it's victims of abuse. Oh, Brendan, Brendan, Brendan Fraser and Terry Crews are like <laughs> coming Sam, after me. Sam, what have you got yourself into here? <laughs> I just I just love the term tap on the tape. <laughs> such a great, such a great euphemism let's write it's not it even in. a euphemism it actually is it is what it is <laughs> let's tap on the t- let's write that movie ben i just imagine this the sound is like a like okay <laughs> like I, I feel like by laughing i'm gonna get in trouble yeah, yeah me too <laughs> but, <laughs> thanks right. ben yeah. thanks <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Moving on. Um, for your consideration, another Christopher Guest one, Shadow of the Vampire is a good one with um, Willem Dafoe. Oh, what a great film. Yeah, what are some that you, you guys have? Am I going to go? Are you going to go? I don't care. I, I, I have some prepared. Do it. Oh, go for it then. Yeah, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to like step on your toes. No, I was like, I will step on his I'll tank. <laughs> Feel free to step on my taint anytime. Makes a let's not bring that back. <laughs> Sound like that. Um, I, I, I chose um, <laughs> um, Hail Caesar. Yes. Oh. Yeah, which um, I thought was quite funny. Um, that got maligned critically and I never understood. I, I really enjoyed it because that's the thing that the Coen brothers do is they make these little artsy films and then they come back with these sort of big lavish ones, you know, yeah. like they do a Barton Fink, which is another one. Um, mm. And then they make like a Hudsucker proxy and the juxtaposition between those is quite huge. And it's the same with Hal Caesar. I, 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 very yeah. fanciful. Yeah. I, I was one of the people who did not care for it, but I also did not care for Inside Llewellyn Davis. Oh, I love that one. Or uh, anything past, anything past maybe. Oh, brother, we're out there. Like I do have to go back and watch uh, the, what's the one where is that with Brad Pitt? Oh, the, the burn after reading. Yeah, burn oh, after reading. Yeah. I have to give that. I have to give that one another watch because. Uh, uh, but I didn't care for Intolerable Cruelty. I didn't care for the man who wasn't there. I didn't care for uh, mm-hmm. Lady Killers. Well, so I think like a... Lady Killers and Intolerable Cruelty <laughs> are just terrible films in general. Like they are blemishes on the Coen Brothers, you know, catalogue. But other than that, I, I do love everything else they've done. Mm. I haven't seen a serious man yet either. Yeah, you might struggle. You, you might struggle with that one. But hey, the, the Coen Brothers are no more because Ethan Coen has retired. Yeah, well, temper at least for now. He hasn't ruled out coming back. He's just uh... they might do a Wachowskis and and you know, and we won't get yeah. it. Okay. 
No. He'll come back as, <laughs> as Ethel Cohen. <laughs> That's what an unfortunate. Like, surely, surely, if you're going to go to the effort and the emotional stress of like changing your gender, you you shouldn't be stuck with like a name sounding like your old name. You should just be able to go, like, you know, I'm not going to become Benita. Like I might just become like Cheryl. Or, yeah, some uh, people, some people yeah. do really stick to their to their name, like as but close that, as um, But yeah. that begs a question: Why did why did um, Ellen Page become Elliot Page? Why not just stay Ellen Page? Yeah, or That's Ellen. True. Maybe Ellen. it's more of a yeah, yeah. It's more of a symbol. It's yeah. a symbol of I am now different, or I am now who I I was meant to be. All yeah, I just I just figured that was like a really really nice way to just maintain the you know the, mm. the sound anyway. Yeah, but you could but why when you could become any you can completely redefine yourself. Why not mm. completely redefine? That yourself? is a good point too. That is um, a good point too. I and, would like to mention uh, Get Shorty, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite movies about making movies. Uh, Sullivan's Travels, which is it's not it is and it isn't about it is. But it isn't. There's no movies are getting made, but it's about a millionaire who decides to ride the rails. He's a millionaire movie producer. He decides the, to ride the rails as a hobo to learn what the real America is like. Not in, like not in his golden Hollywood ivory tower, golden ivory. I don't think that's a thing, but you know what I mean. Like the <laughs> so he and he hooks up with, of course, the hobo princess that he hooks up with is uh, Veronica Lake. The very the very plain and homely Veronica Lake. Uh, but that is a, that's a fantastic film and definitely worth checking out. And Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is the other one. Yes, we're going to I love that movie. I thought you might have uh, dropped in a little bit of State and Maine or maybe it's just that you've spoken about that at length. I do love State and Maine, but like one of the actual, one of the, the trickier things about this uh, kind of thing was that I tried to find movies that were actually set in Hollywood, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. State and Maine is not. Yeah, they're good actually point. they're off in a little country town. And mm. another great one is Swimming with Sharks. Throw that one in there. That is a fantastic yeah, that one. one. That's Sharks. about Scott Rudin, who's now getting into massive boatloads of trouble. I know. <laughs> and who plays yeah, one him? of the? Sorry, who plays Scott Rudin in that one? Yeah, good old Kevin Spacey. <laughs> oh. That Brendan is a... Fraser. Yeah. Brendan Fraser's best buddy, <laughs> Kevin Spacey. <laughs> gives him a little love tap every now and then. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another good movie Monday recommendation. This week we are talking about the films within films. And has there ever been a more red hot, explosive piss take on Hollywood? than Tropic Thunder, I would argue not. Now, I remember when this movie came out and it came out like an absolute cannonball. And on the surface, it looks like another Apatow type joint. You know, you've got everyone from Steve Coogan in there, Bill Hatter, Jack Black, uh, Jay Bushell. Like, I mean, all these people that were populating these kind of films, they are right, it's just gonna be the same thing. But then layered over the top of it by actor and director Ben Stiller is this slickness, this action efficiency that you just wouldn't think. Um, For those of you that haven't seen this, and I don't know how you haven't, uh, effectively it is about a ragtag bunch of actors who are all stuck in their own kind of hubris. I mean, you got here, (laughs) 
Basically, Ben Stiller is playing a version of Sylvester Stallone and Jean-Claude Van Damme, this kind of amalgamation of this self-serious action actor who wants to break out and be taken seriously, but cannot stop making terrible sequels to terrible films, uh, namely Scorcher, the Scorcher series of films. Jack Black is effectively Martin Lawrence here, uh, someone, and Eddie Murphy, a guy here who is hiding behind fat suits and shtick and catchphrases uh, ad nauseum. And all these guys want to shake it up and they want to be taken seriously and they want to star in this war movie. Uh, but what happens is, is they get stuck into a genuine conflict and they have no idea about what's going on. Now, this script here by Justin Throw, and yeah, that Justin Throw, is so kind of like knowing and on the nose and tipping its hat. It really represents something special, I think, because he goes, you know what, I think you guys know enough about movies now. Like, you guys are reading about how the sausage is made. So I'm going to expose all this stuff that normally would be self-indulgent and might not be that funny is some of the funniest shit in the entire movie. Matthew McConaughey here as a wheeling and dealing agent is absolutely on fire. And you'd think, do these stars, are they really this petty? about getting paid television in their hotel rooms? The answer would be yes. And the real MVP here, well, there's two MVPs in this movie, but number one has got to be, I think, Tom Cruise here playing effectively a Weinstein brother uh, with the foulest mouth and the biggest level of intimidation that you've basically ever seen on screen. It is honestly like a top five Cruise performance. Um, and I just think he brings a fury to this that for those, this is funny too, because this film happened pre-Weinstein. And so that if you were to watch this, you're like, who is this monstrous character? But now he is completely part of the public consciousness. And then the other MVP here is a man who was already on his way up because of Iron Man. But Robert Downey Jr. has frequently been touted by his peers and directors as one of the most talented actors of all time. And, you know, obviously we know that he had a period of squandering that. And here he is leaning into this idea of him being the most method actor of all time. Basically, Kirk Lazarus, a guy who is Australian, or is he? <laughs> who is uh, either got brown eyes or blue eyes, depending on the contacts that he's wearing. He is this, you know, bubbling hot pot of different accents, different mannerisms. He has acted so much, he just doesn't know who he is. And Danny Jr. here goes for it so hard, and including uh, an incredibly controversial uh, you know, variation on blackface, which I think is skewered in the right way that it's saying, you know, like this actor thinks that he's so important that he doesn't see the historical problem with this. Um, there is also like, you know, scenes here where Ben Stiller plays, uh, you know, <laughs> plays Jack, this simple Jack, this character who is intellectually disabled and he has to do it for the humor of, I'm not going to spoil what happens in the plot of his captors, but I mean, both of these segments just would not happen in a modern film so going back and even though this isn't really that old of a film you know it's just over 10 years old um it's kind of incredible that they got away with this stuff but i think that yeah my only i only have one really really major complaint about tropic thunder and that is is that i wish that ben stiller wasn't in it um because as good as he is as tug speedman uh as this kind of you know satire on the action star if he genuinely cast someone like jean-claude van damme or sylvester sloan and they gave a winking knowing performance even someone honestly maybe like vin diesel who takes himself very seriously i think that this movie then would just be honestly one of the best like perfect and one of the best comedies ever made but as it stands it is a film that is stacked with incredible sequences performances gags the works check it out at your the earliest convenience 
the soothing sounds of Adam Ross, ladies and gentlemen, chairman of the Australian Film Critics Association, film critic for Triple M, and occasional guest on Ticket TV. All round good guy. His Facebook page is called Adam's Just Seen, so go ahead and give that a like. And that voice also signifies the tail end of the show. Um, do have a few more minutes before we lock the door on this one. Is there anything either of you want to discuss without any notice whatsoever? Shut up, Ben. I forgot. To, I, for- <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to. Uh, <laughs> hey I Sam, forgot to mention, I forgot to mention RKO two eight one. I just. Uh, oh, you've done that before. About making movies. That was one of your RKO- focus films. I've done. I've. I know. I've talked about it before. I just wanted to mention it again because it's excellent, and also uh, Cats Meow, which is almost. It's not the same movie, but it's about the same people at the same time. And it's Bogdanovich's kind of answer to RKO 281 because he disputes that mm-hmm. Citizen Kane had anything to do with Randolph Hearst because he was a good friend of Orson Welles during <laughs> his latter years. And so he knows everything about Orson Welles. And they did not dub any actors in those films. No. <laughs> but uh, what's his name? Plays Charlie Chaplin in it, which I thought was very odd. Eddie Izzard. That is odd. I just like, it's, like not, that, not that there's anything wrong with Eddie Izzard. I like Eddie Izzard, but he's just, you know, the way he looks is not who I think of when I think Charlie Chaplin, especially after, I guess, you know, Robert Downey Jr. did such a good job. Uh, yeah. That's a good Chaplin. point. But Sam, do you want to give your blog a bit of a plug? Sure. What's it called? It's happyandtragic.com. And um, I write reviews and I'm hoping to to kind of write some other articles as well but at the moment it's just reviews and um i i try and i do about every fortnight so yeah check it out all my socials as well we endorse it that's essentially how we came across you yes so with my website my (laughs) fancy website (laughs) i'm just upset that you i'm just upset that you stole the name uh, from my soon-to-be-published autobiography (laughs) (laughs) i was psychic you were you, you plucked it just out of the out of the I had it I let it float around in the ether too long. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I'll take credit for it regardless. I'll I'll write the the foreword. What do they yeah. call it at the <laughs> start? start. <laughs> Slash it will also be the epitaph on my grave. So uh, I'm trying to come up with alternative titles for you, mate. <laughs> Tap on the tape. As I have said several times on the show, we do put more content onto our social media pages. We do celebrity interviews and reaction videos and various other types of conversations. So make sure you drop into our Facebook, YouTube and Instagram pages. Uh, and you can also get everything we do in one place at goodmoviemonday.com. And um, we're going to do more videos this week. Sam, you're going to join us? Cool. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Caught completely by surprise. Am I? <laughs> well, this has been heaps of fun. It's been uh, treacherous to say the least, and um, <laughs> looking forward I to the be response back next week. But uh, it's fun while it was fun while it lasted. I regret nothing. Thank you to Jarrett, Guillermo, Chloe, Joe, Chad, and James, and of course Adam Ross, always dishing up brilliant content. Thank you from me to you, Sam, and well, not so much Ben. It's um, it's been a displeasure. I'm going to be interested to hear when you go back through to edit the show. <laughs> at one point, I didn't realize that we were back 
and I was making a joke about taking a nap and I made like loud snoring noises. I don't know if the mic picked them up. I wonder if it's going to be in there. <laughs> I could just remove that audio track. Yeah, you totally you could. Sure. If you... <laughs> and as everybody listening now will know that this is a, a pointless conversation. Yeah, you could, I suppose you could just cut this whole bit too. <laughs> We're going to sign off with a banger of a track from Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So make sure you crank this one up. It is Hush by Deep Purple. Have a bloody good week, everybody. Next week, we have the legendary Bruce Beresford on the show. So until then.
Yeah, look, the show did contain some themes of suicide, and while the context of those conversations was definitely off the cuff and spontaneous, we do actually take that shit seriously, and we have been personally affected by suicide ourselves. If the themes of today's show stirred up any dark thoughts for you, and you do need help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. And just remember, there are people in your life who do want you here, and we definitely want you to stick around. We've got lots more shows to record for you. Again, that number is Lifeline on 13 11 14.